it's really about creating a culture where you're actually looking at the data on a frequent basis. And the frequency might vary depending on the data as well as the organization. But the idea there is that, you know, once you have the data available to you, it's a matter of like picking which metrics you're going to improve, setting goals around that, and then developing plans and, and modifying plans uh, in order to get to the, get to the goals. Buyer behavior isn't the same, and the old sales funnel is no longer relevant. So Square2 Marketing is smashing the funnel and encouraging businesses to think differently about their approach to marketing, sales, customer service, and revenue generation. Join us for season one of Smash the Funnel, the podcast. With our amazing lineup of industry experts, we'll introduce you to the new cyclonic buyer journey, and we'll provide insights and tips on how to optimize your business's approach to sales and marketing. And now for your host, Mike Lieberman, CEO and Chief Revenue Scientist at Square2 Marketing. Hey everybody, I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO and Chief Revenue Scientist at uh, Square2 and the host of Smash the Funnel, the podcast. Uh, Remember, our mission with the podcast is to teach all of our listeners about the new buyer journey, how to understand how your buyers are interacting with uh, companies like yours today how you apply tactics to that new buyer journey, and how you apply metrics to that journey, and how you apply technology as well. So we're giving you kind of a schematic on how to think about revenue generation from a marketing sales and and services perspective. And this is our final episode. This is episode 10, how to map data to the new cyclonic buyer journey. And uh, I'm really thrilled to, to uh, uh, to talk in this final episode of season one Uh, In our last episode, we spent some time with Gene Bliss, founder of Customer Bliss, and we took a really deep dive into how you should be thinking about delivering a remarkable customer experience and actually how that drives revenue, how that accelerates the buyer journey cycle because you have all of the reviews and references and advocacy that you need to get people talking about your business. And, And we talked a little bit about how customers really trust other customers and they don't really trust you so much. So that service element of revenue generation is, is huge. But today we're going to talk about data and who best to talk about data than the CEO of Databox, Pete Caputa. Pete, welcome to Smash the Funnel, the podcast. We're, we're thrilled to have you. Thanks, Mike. It's uh, fun to be wrapping up your series here. Looking forward to the conversation. Awesome. Thanks. So Pete, just to give you a little context, we've been working our way around the new cyclonic buyer journey. We've covered all the stages, um, but one of the other ways that we've decided to help our listeners operationalize this approach and really drive revenue is to be able to map metrics to each, uh, metrics and data to each of the stages. So while we were creating these stage-specific dashboards to go along with the buyer journey model, I really wanted to spend some time with you today to talk about how Databox might be able to help our listeners do that. Some of your observations about what you see kind of going on in the world from a buyer journey perspective, and uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. Sound good? Sounds great. Sounds great. Okay, great. So why don't I, I like to ask guests to give us a little bit of background just to give the listeners some context. So to start... Share with us a little bit about your background, how you ended up at Databox, and maybe what, what the Databox's mission is and, and how you want people to kind of understand what you guys are doing. Sure. Yeah. So I've been doing some version of online marketing for uh, the better part of 20, 
20 years now. I had my own startup in the early 2000s, late 90s, and then uh, ended up joining HubSpot pretty early on. I spent a little over nine years there uh, on the sales and the partner program side of things. Uh, started the partner program there, built that up, uh, which is, of course, how we know each other uh, originally. Um, and and then uh, after nine years, HubSpot's you know, fairly successful and got pretty big. I was looking to be an entrepreneur again and was actually going to uh, do my own thing for a while, but ended up connecting with the team here at Databox. They had raised a, a few million dollars, built a cool product and needed somebody uh, with some marketing sales service, uh, go-to market experience. And so I joined uh, about 16 months ago now. So been here for a while. Our mission is really helping companies improve their performance by better being able to monitor, um, improve, uh, and, 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 and really set goals around their data uh, so that they're, they're much more agile, much more nimble, and they're actually using the data to make uh, marketing, sales, service, product decisions um, by having it all in one spot uh, available to them on any device. Uh, so that they can really um, democratize the access of data and, and use it in their day-to-day -day business decisions. That's awesome. That's, that's really great. And you have a great product too. I can attest to that. So um, interesting tidbit too. I still tell people uh, the story about how when I first learned about HubSpot and I wanted to be a HubSpot partner, I came up to Boston and you and I had lunch at the Cheesecake Factory and we talked that's a lot right. about what I needed to do to be HubSpot's best partner and um, still, right. I still look back fondly on that conversation and, and feel like that was like a bit of a turning point for us as, a, as an agency. And I was re really excited about what HubSpot could do. And, and I, I thought I could um, introduce HubSpot to a lot of customers. And obviously, we ended up doing yeah, it. Yeah, it was a good match. You had already written your first book, right? Yeah. Um, and and it echoed a lot of the same themes that, that HubSpot was pushing around inbound marketing and um, I think, do you have a different name for it that you used back then? I forget. Yeah, well, we, our methodology was called reality marketing reality. at the time. Um, and it had a lot, it had a lot to do with strategy and, and, you know, thinking through what you were doing as opposed to just jumping in and starting to do tactics. And, right. you know, the thing, not to make this about HubSpot, but the thing that I really liked about HubSpot back then was, you know, it had kind of an executional methodology that came along right. with the product. So, you know, to me, that was always what was so interesting was, you know, that overlay of methodology besides just, you know, tactics, right? Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. And you've always been about the strategy first. And I, I think that's, you've been proven right there uh, probably yeah. a few thousand times over now, if yeah. not more. Thank so. you. I, I, I appreciate that. So enough about the Wayback Machine. Let's try to move <laughs> forward here. Um, sure. So I, I've been asking all of our guests this question um, at a macro level, can you tell me what you see that's going on in the world that's affecting the buyer journey, both from a sales and a marketing and a revenue generation perspective? You know, we're doing a lot of writing. The, the book that's going to go along with the podcast, Smash the Fun, I was really mm -hmm. talking about how you know, the way people buy is so much dramatically different than it was even you know, four or five years ago. Tell me what you see and you know, maybe some of your customer experiences or some of your partners, or what they're telling you, but, or even your own personal perspective on what's happening to the buyer journey. And, and yeah. as, as, as revenue generators, how do we need to kind of be prepared for that? Yeah. Um, so I can speak a little bit to like, all right, my own personal experience of 
you know, both building HubSpot's sales and marketing machine and then building it here at Databox. And um, the big change, and that, you know, that was like when we started at HubSpot, it was 10 years ago. So the big change I think that's happened in the last 10 years is that buyers are, are truly servicing themselves and they're much further down the sales process. Uh, many times making purchases, you know, B2B, relatively complex, relatively expensive purchases without even talking to a salesperson. Or if they're talking to a salesperson, it's just the final final stage. And so I'm seeing marketing kind of take over more and more of the sales responsibility. Also, as you were alluding to, and, and you cover on a previous podcast there, you know, the the experience that the customer has is what creates um, good, you know, creates buzz in the market. You know, and when you have hundreds or thousands or um, of happy customers, um, that is the the best marketing. And so, uh, but it's all happening online, right? People are leaving reviews and and answering questions on Quora and on social sites and in groups, uh, Facebook groups or whatever. So all of that is happening outside of the influence of the company selling the product or service. And and so I think it's 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 more and more important important that marketing um, is really getting more and more investment. Uh, yeah, it must be super frustrating for all these companies that are sales focused and sales has always kind of been like the, the big important department in the company. Like I used to work for some really old school sales organizations like Xerox and Dun & Bradstreet and yeah. those sales teams and those sales guys, like they ran those companies you know, the yep. people that got oh, yeah. promoted in executive jobs were totally. all sales, you know, successful salespeople. It must yep. be super frustrating for those salespeople to be continually pushed back of the bus in favor of, you know, self-service, customers wanting to service themselves and getting information online. I think a couple of years ago, I think HubSpot might have published something that said, you know, the salespeople used to control 75% of the process and marketing controlled 25%. And now... Yeah it was 75% marketing and 25% sales. And lately it feels almost like sales might even be less than that. Maybe more yeah. like 90 marketing, 10 right. sales. I mean, sales really only gets involved when the prospect needs information that is like uber specific to them in their situation. Like how much is this going to cost? And I need to look at your contract and when yeah. can I get it? And who would I be working with? Like yeah. all those really, really, really late stage rationalization questions is really where sales has started to get relegated to don't you think i think so especially in in competitive markets and and what i'm also what i'm also seeing is like everybody's got a you know got 10 competitors now so i think yeah more more and more it's it's uh you know buyers are educating themselves through peers and through online uh, materials and you know marketers are of course enabling that if they're doing a good job uh, but, uh, but yeah that must be frustrating my first job out of school was was similar I was a sales engineer and I'd literally never talk to the prospect but I would get on a flight go to visit them spend three days in their facility testing products and working with their their engineers and then I'd come back I'd write a report send it off to them and like that was our sales process um, and, uh, and the salesperson local salesperson and you know that had his own car would drive around and close those deals. So I think, uh, and I, I remember back then, like I'm saying like half of this should be automated. It's not, right. it's not necessary for me to get on a flight. Right. So I, that company probably still does it the same way they did it that way for a hundred years. But, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think more and more newer companies, especially are hip to the idea that they can service their 
their clients at a lower cost or prospects at a lower cost and that enables them to charge less money and still make good money. And I think ultimately what we'll see is just newer companies kind of displacing the ones with the, the big sales costs. So I think it'll take some time. I think it'll be another 10 years before like salespeople are uh, completely un- unnecessary or you know, relegated. Um, but I think the companies that embrace this idea of marketing investments first over sales um, have a have a big future because their costs will just be so much lower and they'll be able to pass yeah. that savings on to, to clients and customers. Definitely. And probably create a better experience for those prospects along yes. the way. Yes, yeah. exactly. So yeah. let, let's get into your area of expertise. So t- talk to us a little bit about how you see data and dashboards and metrics, helping people produce better results, faster results, more significant results, uh, again, at a higher level, how do you see uh, access to, you know, your kind of tools and, and, and data in general helping people? Yeah. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's a little bit of a slow process, I think, for organizations to truly become uh, data driven. The challenge has been that there's so much data uh, and especially in a small business now that maybe uses eight to 10 tools uh, and let's just say there are 20 people, it's hard for them to have a handle on all that data. And so I think that's the the first hurdle that I see uh, companies uh, face is just like having a complete view of the data. Um, after that um, problem is solved, which is a relatively challenging one for many orgs, uh, then it's really about creating a culture where you're actually looking at the data on a frequent basis and the frequency might vary depending on the data as well as the organization. But the idea there is that, you know, once you have the data available to you, it's a matter of like picking which metrics you're going to improve, setting goals around that, and then developing plans and, and modifying plans uh, in order to get to the, get to the goal. So we've recently actually released like a, a four step methodology, which is uh, creating, uh, benchmarking performance quarterly, uh, setting goals monthly, revising your plans weekly, and monitoring your data daily. And that last one, I think, is where the rubber meets the road. Uh, for example, like we have, I have several marketers on the team, and they monitor a bunch of different metrics and how they fluctuate every day. And since they know the things they're doing that day or did the day before, they can start to see the correlations between the the activities or the inputs that they're doing like writing a blog post or getting an influencer to share on social or you know getting a link from somewhere else um things like that and they can see how that impacts the numbers and by monitoring that daily they can very quickly make conclusions on what works and what doesn't so that they can then the following day either double down what worked on the day before or you know take the pieces of what that what worked and repeat it you know the following week uh, so, so you're you're literally seeing them adjust their day-to-day you know tasks and behaviors and activities based on the data they're reviewing on a regular basis yeah i'd say that we it's not maybe not day-to-day um but week to week right so uh, you know, if they might do something on Tuesday and, and it works really well, they will spend more time on that thing Wednesday. Say they publish an article on Tuesday and um, it does really well. They might spend a little more time on Wednesday um, promoting that to get some more shelf life out of it. Um, but moreover than that, they're going to take that lesson and say, hey, we did this thing, this part, we're going to tweak our process a little bit. So for next week when we do it, um, it'll 
you know, it, it'll, it'll work better than it has in the past because it seems to, see this new thing we're doing seems to work. Like, for example, we're doing more on Quora. Um, so when we publish an article, we'll go and look for, for um, articles related to that content on Quora and we'll leave an answer with a link to the article. Uh, and like we had one article get picked up and promoted out to 10,000 Quora users hmm. uh, the other day. And so now we've built that into our process uh, of publishing an article. Uh, and we don't do it every time, of course, but, but uh, that's a piece of it now. Yeah, that's a significant change in pretty in, in typical marketing behavior. Like I, I, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, which I think maybe I'll just skip over a little bit because you kind of addressed it is, you know, marketers are pretty used to kind of looking backwards, right? The month right. is over. How do we do? You know, let's, let's look at the things that, that, you know, happened last month or maybe even over the last three months. And I think one of the things I really like about Databox and what you guys do is you can literally give someone the opportunity to see, well, what's going on now? What happened yesterday? You know, if positive momentum was generated, let's do something about it again today or tomorrow and yep. be a little more proactive than, than, than reactive, right? And marketers typically weren't even that focused. I mean, we used to basically put ad campaigns out there and then just kind of hope it did <laughs> <Right>. something. <without laughs> really any. Wait, wait until next year, right? right? To do it again. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if people said, I saw your ad, that was usually good enough to, to you know, <laughs> right. re-up. Uh, so it's, yeah. a pretty, it's a pretty dramatic change in behavior for, for marketers, isn't it? Absolutely. Like most of, you know, we work with a lot of marketing agents. Most of the agencies we work with, like they started working with us simply because they wanted to automate their monthly report, right? They're spending a lot of time cutting and pasting data into a spreadsheet or cutting and pasting screen grabs from different systems into a PDF or PowerPoint or something. Uh, and like they looked at us and like, oh, we could save two hours a month per client if we just could pull all that data into dashboard uh, and send that off to our client instead. And so that's how a lot of them started with us. And so we've been, we've been slowly getting them to be more agile. And some, some agencies have adopted, you know, agile marketing more formally. Um, but one of the things that we pushed out there um, probably about a year ago now was our goals feature so that now once you have your dashboard set up, you can set up goals for specific metrics. And what we've discovered is that it's a pretty small percentage of agencies actually set or revise goals on a monthly basis. For the most part, they set like an annual target and then just work towards it. Um, and what we discovered in a lot of books and, you know, like the four disciplines of execution, the EOS model, there's a lot of different methodologies for building businesses out there. And they recommend shorter term goals, you know, broken down in order to keep the team motivated towards achieving things like the, the more, the more short term they are, the more focused people are on achieving yeah. it and the more you can ultimately do in the long run. And so yeah, we've been we, tell, to do that. we tell this story to clients quite frequently, like, I'm a runner, so if I'm gonna go out and run five miles, it always seems like, ugh, I really wanna do it, it's gonna take me an hour, like it's hot out. My knees hurt, yeah. Right, right, but then you get your sneakers on and you're going, and you're like, okay, just get to the stop sign, you're good, just get to the next fire hydrant, get to the corner, get to the blue car, like when you break up the five mile run into these little bite-sized chunks, it, it, next thing you know, you're finished, and you accomplish yeah. it, you feel great, it's a very similar analogy to, to what you're talking about. Um, exactly. The other question I wanted to ask you, because this seems like a big miss for me in the marketplace in general is, 
I still don't find that there are a lot of people who, yes, they can set up the data feeds and yes, they can set up the dashboards and yes, they can practice the methodology to set goals and review, but you still have to interpret what the data is telling you, right? You still have to yep. extract the insights that make you say, wow, I see this and I see that. And because of that, I'm going to do, you know, A, B, and C next. Like that still seems hard for a lot of people. Are you finding that also? Absolutely. I think people use data as like a checkbox. Like, yep, we produced the report. It shows that things are going up. Let's do it. Let's keep going, right? They don't, they don't go past the whole green or red kind of um, interpretation. And, and there's, a, there's so much more to be done there in terms of, you know, even it's just like which metrics moved up and what's our theory on why, or right. you know, take it to another level. It's like, you know, why do we have, did we get more marketing qualified leads? Let's look at the things that might've precipitate that. Did we get a spike in a certain tra traffic channel? Did we get, did our email marketing perform better? Uh, and really, you know, looking at the correlations between the outcome that you want and the inputs that you had. And yeah, I, I agree. There's not a lot of people that are great at that. Um, and that, that is a, a challenge. I think a lot of people are intimidated by, by data in general. Um, yeah, you, you really need to have some Sherlock Holmes in your personality, I think, to to want to do a little bit more of investigation and maybe to look into some additional data points to try to help you get some clarity around what you might be thinking. And then I think you need a little bit of Albert Einstein in you to set up some experiments to kind of validate what you're thinking. Like, yeah, we did get more leads as a result of that. Let me run this experiment over the next couple of weeks to see if I can reproduce that. And, and this is how you end up with these kind of sustainable, predictable, scalable tactics that you can execute on, on a regular basis. And I see a lot of that missing uh, in the marketplace also. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, no, we're all about um, running a handful of experiments every month for our own marketing, our own sales efforts, right? Um, and then incorporating that into process. And like, I'm a stickler about it. It's like, if they're going to do something the third or fourth time and there's not a process for it, then that's a break. Um, and the reason that's so important is because once you have a process, then everybody knows, you know, what you're doing and how you're doing and it's efficient and you kind of, then you can efficiently, and everyone can efficiently experiment. But if, if you don't have processes documented and shared, uh, it's hard for anyone to come up with an experiment that's valid because they don't know, they don't have a complete understanding of the entire process. So, um, right. so I think those two things, and I know you guys do both, right? Like running experiments and, and documenting processes, those are critical to being yeah. actually able to improve numbers. The other thing I see, and you can comment on this too, is I see a lot of very tactically oriented dashboards or, or, or mm. tactic centric analytics and i think this is a my, my theory is this is a, a holdover from the way marketing used to work it was very kind of siloed tactically like you had your yep. your email marketing person and your web person and your search agency and your pr firm and you know maybe someone oversaw what they were doing but those tactics really weren't integrated if they if they were integrated a little bit they certainly weren't orchestrated like a symphony would be so right. i still see a lot of people applying that kind of old school thinking to dashboards, you know, well, let me build my, my web dashboard or let me build my email marketing dashboard. And what, what we're suggesting that people think about is they, they do more stage specific dashboards. So, yep. you know, what, not, what metrics do we want to look at to make sure the, our, our, our marketing in the awareness stage is generating more organic visitors to our website and that we're yep. getting found for the right keywords and that 
you know, uh, uh, the, the, the time on our site maybe is, is strong or the click-through rate for this site is strong. So can you talk a little bit about maybe that change in, in thinking also? Yeah, no, I think historically, like different channels or tactics were used in different parts of the funnel, right? Email, email was, is, it was just for uh, turning leads into sales appointments, right? Or blogging, blogging, I think is my biggest beef. Too many marketers think that blogging is just for building awareness. Uh, when in reality, a blog is great for building awareness. It's great for networking. It's great for, um, you know, great Nurturing for nurturing the sales nurturing. process. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. For, it's even good for, you know, your customers, your clients. Right, right. Have a bunch of them and you should educate them to your blog and they're going to be the ones that actually share your content. So like it's a, it's a, it pretty much touches everything just like your website does or can. Um, and so, no, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of thinking about it in terms of steps in, in the sales process or in the case of what you guys do with the, the cyclonics or cyclones. Um, I love that. Um, and so I think that's important because that's what allows you to think where, where should I improve? And I, in our business, I literally go back and forth from like, okay, we need more at the top of the funnel for next two months. Right. And it's like, okay, now that we have a crap on the top of the funnel, we can, we should pro we should probably improve our conversion rates down the funnel. And, and that literally goes all the way from like trap sessions to our website to how many people are upgrading, you know, uh, in a given month. So, yeah. and I'm always looking at like how, what things can I do in different parts of the, that uh, process, those processes in order to improve stuff. So I find it much more helpful to look at the different stages uh, as opposed to like looking at a tactic and saying right. and trying to interpret how that tactic's performing. Cool. So if our listeners wanted to set up some stage-specific dashboards, like let's just use the awareness stage as an example, what advice would you give them? What things maybe should they avoid if they wanted to do some of the stage-specific dashboards we've been talking about? Well, I, I think it depends on the tools first that they're using. So let's just say that they're using, um, you know, some so they're doing some social marketing, they're doing SEO, they're do they have their website, of course, maybe their blog, uh, and it's going to be different, I think, for different companies. But like for social, you know, you know, everybody says you shouldn't track your follower account and all that, but you should track some level of follower engagement if you're spending time there. Um, SEO, right? You, a lot of people say that you shouldn't track your rankings, but I disagree with that one as well. Uh, I think that's a good leading indicator of, you know, how you, how your, how your funnel is going to perform. Um, you of course also should track your conversions from organic search as well to get a better feel for it, whether it's actually for, um, you know, contributing to your revenue growth or not. Um, and then I think there's conversion rates, right? Early conversion rates, there's time on page, there's bounce rates, um, things like that, that, that really will help you get a feel for, you know, how the top of your funnel is performing. Uh, if you're using ads, maybe it makes sense to, to, um, to have some, you know, pay-per-click pay uh, ad uh, metrics in there as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, pay-per-click can be a good awareness uh, measure, you know, so it's almost like buying your way to the first page of Google. If you're, if you're tracking organic visits, you should be tracking visits from your paid campaigns too. Sure. Um, cool. Um, good. That's, that's good advice. Um, what about any innovative best practices that you might have seen uh, in any of your customers that might have dramatically produced some lift for them? Have you seen any, any interesting innovation related to data and what you guys do? Um, 
I like I, I think that the the most companies are missing the basics. They don't have a cadence around reviewing data, setting goals, and and holding people accountable. I think there's a few things that happen when companies start to set numeric goals. One is they can hold the team accountable, um, and two is they can start to celebrate the wins. And I, that's really what most companies I think are missing out on uh, is that like they're, since they're not setting goals, and people are kind of just doing what they usually do. Um, there isn't as much of an opportunity to recognize when people do a good job. Uh, and so I, I highly recommend that. And I, I don't see enough companies doing it. And we see it in our data. We have like, um, I think around 6,000 monthly active users uh, and about 500 of them set, set or reset a goal in a given month. Uh, and so, you know, of course, maybe the feature is not perfect yet. Uh, we need to improve it. Uh, but we're also just seeing not a lot of companies are actually have a cadence around setting those goals and, and, yeah. uh, and working towards them. So yeah, it's you, not so yeah. much of an innovation. People have been talking about that, setting goals and, and doing it for a hundred years now, hundred plus years now in business. But, uh, but I still think that there's a huge opportunity for companies to be more regimented about it. Yeah. And obviously that's a, uh, a bit of a behavioral change that people are going to have to make, you know, marketing, Marketing historically, it never really was very accountable. And uh, along with that lack of accountability came the constant argument about like, what, are you, what have you done? What are you doing? What's the ROI right. on what we're spending on marketing? And we generally kind of just like sat there like with a stupid look on our face. And we're like, well, I mean, you got to do something. So like, leave me alone. It was kind of how we responded to that. Right. Um, so, you know, you, you, you're really going to almost need maybe a, a whole new generation of marketers that are comfortable being accountable, comfortable setting goals. Now that the tools exist to, to set those goals and to track those goals and report on those goals, um, maybe as the, as the demographic ages out, the, the, the new incoming group of marketers will be uh, open to, to that kind of accountability. Yeah, I think we've seen this, a, a nice steady march in the last few years. I don't know if you agree on, on marketers being a lot more data-driven. As more of it's gone digital and and there's more channels and more tactics um, and more software to enable all of those. Uh, everything is get, just getting more and more data-driven, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, 100%. And again, I do think, you know, uh, um, I don't know if human nature actually opens you up to wanting to be accountable. I generally feel like if I have a choice of accountable or not accountable, I'm going right. to probably generally lean to being unaccountable or, or not yep. accountable. So yep. I also think while you're right, I think it's also uh, incumbent on the leaders of the businesses, the CEOs and the executives to, to demand that their, their, their marketing and their revenue generation efforts are accountable and, and they work together to kind of set some goals that, that everyone kind of agree on and then measure their success on it. You know, the people that are good at what we do will be way into that. And the people that are not won't, and those right. people should probably go away anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think there's another important thing that leaders have to do too is is to is to not be a jerk about it. Um, like nobody, you know, even when marketing is is a lot more predictable than it used to be, no one has a crystal ball. Um, and I think what you know, CEOs or, and or agency clients, whatever, need need to look for is more of a a company or a marketer that has a process for setting and revising goals 
based on data as they get it. So as you know, a lot of companies are doing a crappy job with their marketing and then they hire an agency like Square2 and, and like, there's no assets. You, don't, you might have a general feel for their market, but you're not going to be an absolute expert in what they do on day one. And so it's hard for you to go in and say, yeah, we're going to triple your, your traffic and you know, 4X your leads and you're going to get this much revenue. You can do estimations, but once you start marketing is when you actually start to get the feedback loop to really figure out what's possible. Yep. And so like the cup, the, I think leaders have to, to be less about like, what's the target and why didn't you hit it? And you know, what are you going to do now? It needs to be more of like, how do we put a system in place for measurement? How do we take good educated guesses on what our goals should be? And then as we, how do we have conversations on a regular basis about what's possible uh, based on the data that we're now collecting or more of the data or data points that we're collecting. And that needs to be like a give and take process, right? It's like, uh, for example, when, when we started out, like there was very little revenue at Databox and I knew I needed to get to over a million in revenue in, you know, in, in 18 months. And, and so we did the math. I'm like, all right, well, based on our current conversion rates, I need like 500,000 visitors to our website a month. Right. And at the time we had 11,000. And so right. I looked at that and I'm like, all right, well, we'll take a crack at it. We're going to grow our traffic as much as we can. But I also had faith that over time I'd be able to improve the number of visitors that turn into a user of our product, the number of users that turn into a paying customer. And that happened, right? And it didn't happen linearly. It happened, you know, usually it happened after we do some kind of project or a series of projects or a few projects. And we'd go from like 1% of our signups turning into customer to almost 4% of them turning into customers. And, and so now I, now I don't need a hundred thousand visitors. I need like 65,000 sessions a month in order to get to where we need to go. And, you know, we, we just hit the goal in like 16 months. So we hit it ahead of time, but the, um, like that was an iterative process of me being involved as a CEO with my marketing team, with my sales team, with my product team, even to figure out like, how do we gradually improve the different numbers to get us to where yeah, that's actually a tremendous example of the way it's supposed to work as opposed to, you know, the client basically saying like, well, here, here you go. Good luck. Hope you can make this work. And you know, check back with me in a couple months and I'm sure, you know, the leads will be, you know, coming in, you know, mile a minute and, you know, very rarely does that happen. It, it does happen sometimes, but, you know, it would be a much more productive engagement and a mo much more productive relationship to work the way you're thinking about it. And we do, we do try to obviously guide our clients down that path, but, you know, like I said, a lot of them are kind of used to the way we used to do it. Um, yep. So Pete, do you have any exciting announcements or upgrades or new features coming out that you might want to tell us about? Sure. So, um, we, we just launched something. We just, like, we had our goals feature out for a year now. Uh, we made some improvements about six months ago. We made another set of improvements. Now user or customer can go in and instead of just setting this month's goal or this quarter's goal or this, this year's goal, they can go in and say, I want to set up my goals for the next 52 weeks for a specific metric. So if you know your traffic's going to, like, go up in a certain month but not in the next month, um, based on what your marketing plan looks like, you can set that all at once, all up at once. Um, so, cool. and so, so that's a, that's a big one. Uh, you can also now visualize that. So as your goal changes throughout the year, you can see like, okay, our goal was, you know, different for the, the preceding 12 months. And we can see that, you know, nine out of those 12 months, we hit the goal. Um, and, you know, we hit the overall goal as well. Um, so that was a big one. Uh, we also just l relaunched our scorecards feature. So now a user can go in and pick whatever metrics they want, um, up to 10. 
and and send themselves a daily, weekly, or monthly scorecard, which they can receive on our mobile app, uh, in Slack, or by email. And they can actually set up as many scorecards as they want. So, you know, if you wanted to have a marketing scorecard and a sales scorecard sent to you every morning, uh, you can do that. So that's a big one. Right now, we're working on taking our data calculations feature out of out of beta. So. You know, if you, you're spending a certain amount of money on Facebook ads and you want to compare that to the number of leads you get and capture through, say, HubSpot um, in, in a given month based on the spend, right, you can figure out your cost per conversion by, you know, dividing the dollars um, by the amount of um, MQLs nice. you got from HubSpot. So that's actually been out there, but there's been um, some metrics that you couldn't do math with. And so we're, we're uh, finishing that up and we'll watch that next. So those are our, our big Very features. Funny. We're all about helping people kind of grab insights out of the data once they pull it in from different sources and data box. So most of our, our features and functionality that we'll continue to refine and launch will, will be around those themes in the next you know, 12 months or so. That's awesome. Um, Pete, we obviously saved the best guests for last. So uh, you've been incredibly insightful and thank you as always. Uh, Thank you to everyone that supported the show, listened to the show. We've had really great feedback, and I'm going to continue to encourage anyone who listens to the show to share it, comment on it, email us with additional feedback, suggestions, or recommendations for guests. Um, look forward for, uh, to some season two promotional content and announcements coming soon. And as always, let's smash your funnel. Thank you all for listening. <laughs>